marriage celebration of Christ and his bride, the church, that's us, who do you want to be more like? You want to be like the best man, of course. You want to be celebrating and joyous. And how do you get that? How do you rejoice greatly in that marriage? By pursuing the best man. Not, not the best man. Pursue the groom. Because in him joy is found. Pursue Christ. Paul's writing all of this so that they will have joy in Christ. And we're doing it here today because we want to have joy in Christ. This week we're looking at three things or three um, ideas that Paul calls us to. Pursuing the goal actively, pursuing the goal like Paul, and pursuing the goal eagerly as we wait. Let's dive in. So verses 12 to 14, and as I've said already, is, is sort of pushing the idea of that he is pursuing the goal. He says, uh, not that I am already, what does he say? I've already reached, not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it. But what is it? In verse 10, we saw that it was to know him. And in verse 12, we see that it's, he's not yet fully mature. So it's sort of both of these things. One commentator says that Paul, in his pursuit of these things, is pursuing the culmination of the work of Christ, the completed work of salvation, perfection in, perfection through, and perfection with Christ. Even though he's been made perfect before God, he's still pursuing Christ-likeness and Christ himself, just like the best man. He wants to know the groom more because of how great he thinks the groom is. He wants to emulate and be like the groom because of how much he loves the groom. In verses 12 and 13, again, there's two repetitions. Did you see it there? One was that he hasn't yet reached the goal, and therefore he is still pursuing it. He's making every effort, verse 12. He's reaching forward. There's this running imagery, this striving. He is longingly, actively pursuing the goal. He's not sitting around waiting for it. His eyes are fixed on the prize. And why? Verse 14, because he's sure it will come says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. Paul knows God. He knows that God is faithful and trustworthy. God's promises aren't just a, a maybe on Facebook or a 20% chance of precipitation. They're 100% God-stamped promise. They're going to come. He knows that it's the end of the race and his eyes are fixed on it. He's running for it. He knows that that's the end goal. And what's enabling him to do that? End of verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. He can do this because he already has been, past tense, taken hold of. This reminds me of a story that my father tells of our childhood home. We had a church, uh, not a church out the back, we had a pool out the back. And people would come around, they'd send their children around to swim in our pool. Oh, sure, come on over. But one family send their children around and one of the children could not swim. And dad looked out the window one day and saw one of those children failing to swim. Uh, you'll be happy to know that dad dove in and he took hold of that child. He drew them from the water. Unless my father had dived in and taken hold of that child, it's highly likely they would have drowned. This child was unable to save themselves. This is just like us. Ephesians 2 says how we were dead in our transgressions, but Christ made us alive. We were dead in our sins. A dead man can't do anything to save himself, just like this boy was unable to get a breath of fresh air in his lungs. 
we can only be saved, only be right before him, and only now pursue him because he first pursued us. He's taken hold of you. How do you respond to that? Hopefully gratitude, thankfulness, and I hope for all of us an immense desire to pursue the God King who saves, to pursue him actively and purposefully because in that joy is found. My question to you though, for those who know that they've been taken hold of by Christ is, are your eyes fixed on the Savior King who has taken hold of you? Or are you saying, what I'm going to do, God, this is my plan. I'm going to focus on getting my promotion. I'm going to focus on getting my house, getting my assignment done. I'm going to focus on getting this relationship, you know, just right. And then I'll come to you later. Is our focus on God or things of the world that distracts us? I know I too frequently focus on, not on the Lord, and have to repent. Are we serious about our joy? At the start, we saw that Paul knew that there were things distracting the Philippian church, stopping them from pursuing the goal. So he lists three ways of how to actively pursue the goal, and and he, he does them for them as well. So pursue the goal like Paul is what we're told to do here. Verse 13, Paul writes, One thing I do, I forget what is behind and I reach forward. How do you go at forgetting what is behind? What do you find is hardest to forget in your past? I find forgetting my failures really, really hard. I hold on to them. I think we live in a culture that expects you to pursue the best you, and I think there's parts of that that we can affirm, but I think there's also a risk there that we'll hold on to and dwell on our failures. We'll beat ourselves up. We had a saying in our household, good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better's best. And it's built in me as a sinful child, um, this, this expectation of self-achieved perfection. It was a requirement to get there by myself. And whenever I failed, it hit me hard. I dwelt on it for a long time. I could not, as Paul said, forget what is behind. Now, Paul clearly isn't forgetting everything that's behind. The cross of Christ was in the past. But I think he's striving to forget either that which he thought justified him or that which hindered him from single-mindedly pursuing that goal. So looking what's ahead. So we ask Paul, how do you do it, mate? How do you forget what's behind? And I believe the answer is, as we saw in verse 8 last week, he considers everything a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. He threw off the weight of dwelling on and finding his righteousness in those things. Because they didn't give him righteousness. Christ alone did. Step two, Paul gives us as another practical step in verse 15. He says, therefore, all who are mature should think this way. Think like me in pursuing the prize, Paul says. He knows that the Philippians probably find the way of the world appealing. Let's be honest, we do. So he says, brothers, verse 17, join in me, imitating me, and those who live according to the example you have in us. When I first read this, I thought, why does Paul um, say to the Philippian church, Focus on me. Because he's a sinful man, right? Why doesn't he say, no, 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 focus to God, the perfect example. And I think he knows that as humans, we find it easier to follow and focus on something we can see. And he knows that he's striving to pursue Christ. So he says, hey, Philippians, follow me as I follow Christ. And follow others like me. So men like Epaphroditus and Timothy that we saw last week. 
And I think for us here at 5.30, we're incredibly blessed with people who are also following Christ that we can imitate. People who are generous with their time, with their ear, with their service, with their hospitality. I want to be more like you guys. I want to be around you guys and see how you follow Christ and then do the same. Can I encourage you to imitate and pursue Christ for the sake of our congregation so that in unity we can chase after the Lord and encourage one another as we do that? Step number three, Paul says, how to pursue the goal actively. He says, much together under the gospel banner. Verse 16, he says, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. This is very important. This, this verse 16 is a summary sentence of verses 12 to 16. He says, so in any case, he says at the start of verse 16, in any case, so in light of everything I've said, live up to the truth you've attained. In light of, in light of all of that. The truth here is the gospel. So live up to the gospel. And, and this word, word that we translate as live, people smarter than I, so probably derives from a military term that rings of marching together in unity under a banner. So he's encouraging us to live under the banner of the gospel of Christ, marching together in unity. And as we're obedient to that, as we are obedient to that, there'll be growth and we'll become more like Christ. hope that makes sense, three ways of how we can pursue the goal. Forget what's behind and reach forward. Imitate Paul as he imitates Christ and march together under the gospel banner. The third point we see in this section is, is an encouragement to pursue the goal eagerly as we wait. Paul starts in verse 18 and 19 with the alternative. He says, what does he say? I often told you, and now say again with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross. This is the alternative. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. In here is a strong warning from Paul. As I said, he knows that there's a temptation to pursue earthly things that we see in verse 19. So he lets them know, hey, Philippian church, the enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, or more literally, eternal destruction. You can tell these people because their God is their stomach or their sensual desires and their glory is in their shame, meaning what they're pursuing um, to, to get a claim, to get glory, to get, try to get a right standing before God, because it's not Christ and Christ alone, it'll lead to their shame. But us, we who believe, our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. If you're a believer in Christ, that's where your citizenship already is. And it's from there that we eagerly wait for a saviour. What a great thing to wait for. I personally strongly dislike waiting. Uh, normally when we should be leaving the house, I ask my wife, Lillian, my, my darling love, how long? How long will you be? Will we be late? And normally, oh, not normally, sometimes she, she gives me a time frame and I have to adjust my expectations, but sometimes she can't tell me and I just have to wait. And we're constantly waiting in life. We're, we're waiting in traffic. We're waiting for our coffee. We're waiting for the ad break to finish. And we get quite used to waiting, I guess. But I think it's uh, especially hard for us to wait for Christ. I think, like the Philippians, we get distracted. The world is bombarding us with temptations to focus on earthly things. 
but nonetheless, we're called to wait. And not just wait passively, but eagerly. This kind of looking forward, eager waiting for Christ to return. This rings true of this first section of pursuing the goal. It's all linked in. Looking forward, eager waiting. And I think this is how we can combat the temptations of the world. Just keep our eyes fixed on the Savior. A Savior who's coming to redeem and transform our lowly bodies to that of likeness of his glorious body. This transforming of the body is the completion of the goal. It's the culmination of the work of Christ. It's the end of the race that we're called to run. Are you looking forward to it? Are you looking forward to your glorious body? And how will we be transformed? Verse 21, the end of it, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. It's a weird wording, isn't it? When I read it, I thought, it's a bit it's sort of out of context in a sense, but it's not. He, I thought he would say he's going to transform our bodies with the power that resurrects us from the dead, right? But I think here is a warning, a warning that this power will enable him to subject everything and everyone to himself, which begs the question, when he does subject everything to himself, will your end be eternal destruction or will you have waited, eagerly waited, firm, secure, taken hold of by Christ as a citizen of heaven? Can I ask you, what do you have your eyes focused on? Is there something in your path that you can't take your eyes off, an area you're yet to yield to the Lord? Is there something that you have repented of, but haven't forgiven yourself of? Is there something that you keep trying to give to the Lord and say, Lord, is this good enough? If not, can I ask you to give it all to the Lord? Repent, yield, follow him. If you're here tonight and you aren't sure about Jesus, you aren't sure about whether he was real or not, can I encourage you to continue to pursue Christianity? Continue to look at the awesome Savior Christ and what he has done for you. He is the rescuer. He can take hold of you, and he alone can make you right before God. And in him, in him is found joy, deep joy, foundational joy, and it's good. It's really good. Guys, are you, are you looking forward to knowing Christ more? Are you looking forward to growing in intimacy with the King? Pursue the Lord. Long for the day when you'll come face to face with your Savior, body transformed, a glorious body. It won't be broken. It won't fail you. And you'll be in a relationship with the king and creator of the world, unhindered by sin and temptation, looking at him face to face in all his glory. It's going to be great. Long for it. Pursue the Lord. Be a body of believers actively, eagerly pursuing him. Follow the example of Paul, marching under the banner of truth we have received in the gospel. I think if we do that together, we'll have great confidence, great boldness, great steadfastness in a world that is bombarding us with temptations to pursue self-achieved righteousness. So pursue the goal because Christ first pursued you and there's nothing, there's nothing better to pursue. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we may come before you. We thank you that you are good and holy and just. We thank you that we are a citizen of heaven because you have taken hold of us. We thank you for coming all that way to save us from our sins. May we pursue you. May we encourage each other as we pursue you. We love you so much, Lord. Amen.